You're listening to Lost and Sound in Berlin, a podcast exploring music and identity in Berlin, supported using public funding by the Arts Council of England. Episode 7, Protest. Snow is falling across the rooftops of Neukölln without settling. I lean out of my window and light a Fred, the tobacco company whose catchphrase is Fred is for freaks, and whose yellow-tiled design reminds me of the shape and smell of the U-Bahn. The minus-one wind carries across the rooftops the melancholic sound of that Westbam tune about needing a drug. Music drew me a thousand kilometres to this city. Now I'm wondering if I can draw on music as a way to understand just what is going on in this uncertain year. Hello, my name is Paul Hanford. I've set about on a journey to meet people whose lives and loves weave in and out of the rich tapestry of music that spans across this city and across the years. And through this, I want to learn and share with you why Berlin has such a creative energy. I'm stood on a Sunday in the middle of Rosentelerplatz in Mitte and around me there are people who have obviously been up all night coming back home and there are people like me who are just sort of slinking off to a cafe for the afternoon to do some work. I think it's easy to create this portrait of Berlin as a creative wonderland but I've become more aware that there are things here that, like anywhere else, do threaten this and one of the big ones is gentrification. To understand more... I caught up again with DJ and filmmaker Clarice Mu, aka Ace of Demons. She's very passionate about this and she wanted to show me a building in Vedding. So, yeah, where, where are we? So, we're in Gerichtsstraße, it's um, a street in the district of Vedding. And I brought you to this place here because it used to be like a cultural center you know mm. it was it used to be Stadtbad Wedding like an old swimming pool that was transformed into like a cultural space so it was like ateliers or like studios they had offices a club a cafe you know like a lot of artists were here it was like a place to meet and then they had to close and now they built this student home what I find so striking about this kind of um building is really symptomatic of like how the city is developing in an architectural way because like when we talk about gentrification it's not only that people are moving in and others are moving out but you know it's like a corporization of urban space uh, that is happening under like the premise of culture as development factor and like what I mean with that with that is that for like the last 15 years uh, at least, you know, creativity has like been the motor of like urban development to say like, especially in Berlin, which means that, for example, hundreds of blogs or we're talking about like, okay, you have such a free space, you can make whatever you want. And also cities themselves are branding them, themselves with like this kind of image of 
being a creative city that you know is attractive to creative thinkers and all this kind of stuff. Now it's beginning to be over, you know, like this sales pitch to say Berlin is for creative thinkers. When I look at buildings like this, it's kind of, you know, a tombstone of this statement. This because corporate investors, they buy whole parts of neighborhoods and then they plan the long-term development of a whole area. Um, but they don't really think about it in an urban development way, but only, you know, like to build a building and create investment and then generate more money. Even if this building doesn't make money, the money has just to be invested, you know. Mm. When you look at these buildings, there's nothing creative anymore. It's like so normative, you know. Yeah, should we take a look at the building and then you can describe to me yeah. what you find about the building, that, you know, it, why this is such a good example of this. <laughs> I mean, there are definitely better <laughs> examples. Yeah. But I mean, I really find it striking because I was looking for a flat also recently and then, All I saw was this kind of uh, advertisements to get a home here and it's ridiculous, 20 yeah. square meters for such a ridiculous price. And then for students, I mean, like, who's going to pay for it? Rich parents, okay, but then who else can afford it, you know? Well, exa exactly, that's it. And could you describe to me in a way what we're looking at now, like uh, the, what it looks like? All right, so um, it's like a beton block. It's a block of beton and then you have, like, windows which go to the floor mm. uh, and they are like all the building is arranged like super symmetrically like each part of the building is just like reproducing the other it's like total symmetry in a way in, you can look at the building from one side and it's always going to be like the exact symmetrical opposition to what you will see on the other <laughs> it side. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and, and th th that's also like a kind of metaphor for what these kind of buildings are like because wherever exactly. you go in the world um, I, this was what my student halls were like 15 years ago mm -hmm. in, in a thousand kilometers from here, mm -hmm. exactly the same. It's like Yeah, and then like all, all, all the time this, um, these buildings are built to like obviously host better earning persons. Totally. It's like the kind of standard for persons who have like a good income. And I mean, this is like more modest, obviously, but you can go everywhere around the city. You can be in Kreuzberg, like Dresdner Straße or to Gleisdreieck Park. Like this whole area is just flooded with this kind of expensive buildings which express like all the time the same uh, thing, uh, super normative. And then you can go to Mitte, you can go to Prenzlauer you can go to Wedding, like everywhere, you know, it's, it's super crazy. And like even at Hauptbahnhof now, when you enter in the city, or the first thing you see is also this kind of, I think it's offices or whatever. But, you know, like as a tourist, when you go inside the city and then you see this, it's like, what are mm. we talking about? Like what, what creativity, what art, like what freedom, you know? I mean, these buildings, they like stop the place for having diversity. It's like yeah. not diverse at all. It's like the opposite of diverse, you know? And like with these, with this amount of buildings in the city, you know, they, they, in, they indoctrinate us with this kind of uh, ideology of neo-rebelist thinking you know, like, that this is the achievement, what you can achieve once you, like, uh, earn money and, like, can afford to, like, live in a desirable city and all the stuff, you know. But in the end, it's just alienating everybody. I don't know who wants to live in a city made of buildings like this. It's obviously made in the computer. It has no connection at all to the reality of the city, to the people. And, 
you know. Um, yeah, and do you think also as well, because like, I mean, um, I moved to Berlin this year and, and after years of kind of visiting, and one of the things that sort of attracts me to Berlin was always the the sort of the freedom in comparison to other cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I'm viewing this as in through a romantic kind mm-hmm. of filter uh, mm-hmm. from being new here. Say in comparison to London, I'm, I'm doing a very, very long-winded way of <laughs> explaining. For example, in yeah. London, if you're crossing a road at a turning, you have to stop for a car all of the time. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you'd probably get run over. Whereas mm-hmm. in here, I noticed that kind of cars quite often stop for people um, and like when I, when I first noticed it I just thought I was having a really lucky few days and I'd be like thanks very much oh cheers and then, then I kind of realised that maybe it's a thing here and, and then I kind of realised that maybe there is there's more of a value here in just like humanity over um, uh, finance really still well I mean uh, when we talk about finance it doesn't really surprise me that you want to compare it to London because I mean it's like the whole thing that London is about. I mean, ever since colonization, it's been financial center of the world, and yeah. I mean, it would be surprising if that would be any different today. But I mean, in Berlin, there was nothing really happening. You know, like until 2005, people were moving away from here because like the city doesn't produce anything. You know, there's not really something which makes Berlin attractive for investments ever I mean until that point where you know like this kind of branding of the city as creative capital and uh, ever since that it changed but um, I mean because they never really had the kind of necessity or like urge to uh, want to present themselves in like a attractive way or whatever before like the 2000s there was no like real pressure you know like people just I don't know lived in the way they thought was right and there was not this capitalist pressure of growing and like you know in investing to invest to like get more money for getting more money Uh, yeah so I think that's really big difference and what was the first, can you think of what the first time you noticed uh, this creeping in was? Do you have like a particular memory of this? Kind of. I mean, because uh, I think 2004 or five, I moved to Mitte when it began to change. You know, like exactly in the moment we moved there, it was a coincidence that it began to change, you know. And uh, pff, I mean, the punks that were still hanging around like Weinmeister Park and the drug dealers, they disappeared <laughs> that's the first thing that left yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so like more galleries opened up and yeah obviously like art is always the first factor for a section to for a district to change that's why a lot of people in other neighborhoods and other cities have like super strong like feelings against artists coming into the area because they're afraid of gentrification and stuff but in the end it's not the fault of the artists it's like the kind of development how art became so imbricated into the economy that like you know there's no way to avoid that the next Starbucks will open up and stuff yeah like you know I'm a I'm a newcomer to the city mm-hmm. and there's many of other newcomers as well and uh, what can newcomers to the city do um, to sort of just respect the environment that they're in mm. Oh, I think everybody has like their own interest in their own kind of 
way of dealing with things but I think one of the most important things is like to have not this kind of image from Berlin in mind that I mean people are trying to sell to um, which is based in this kind of way that Berlin is free city for artists and creative people and you can have an open mind here and stuff it's like um, this sale pitch is what is transforming the city in the first place so like don't really think about it in a naive way but think it about it in a way that people are trying to m make a commercial out of it and also maybe I don't know think for everybody it's the same if newcomer or still in Berlin some newcomers maybe are more organized than people who lived here their entire life but always be you know aware of what's going on in the neighborhood or everywhere where you live go around and check who does stuff to like work with you know the people that you live with yeah kind of become part of the community yeah. really yeah Okay. Yeah, and maybe like also get informed about German politics <laughs> because a lot of stuff is like really not going so well. And then as soon as you like find you know your way around how the whole society works, then it's also easier to get away to know how the city works and how it, you move to the city and stuff. Talking with Clarice was eye-opening because it made me question certain assumptions I hold to do with creativity and the city. Just standing with her outside that building in Vedding made me more aware of how gentrification is attempting to spread its overpriced mitts across this and every city. And it made me realise if we want to have the city as a place that we love and value, there are important things to talk about and stand up for. Resistance is part of Berlin's cultural fabric. In the summer, residents in Kreuzberg successfully blocked the arrival of a giant Google campus in a historic building. I wanted to dig into some of the roots of why people here do get active. I'm just crossing over at Cotty. I'm on my way to visit Christoph Dreher. His band, Die Hots, which means the skin, have an enigmatic role in the development of music here in the 80s. He's a guy very much part of the history of this very key era in Berlin. He even lived with Nick Cave for a while. And he knows a thing or two about standing up for a cause. Uh, I, came, I came to Berlin on the 1st of May in 1974. Why do you seem to remember that very clearly? Uh, because it was the 1st of May. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I came to Berlin for to a large degree for political reasons, because mm. uh, I was, uh, you know, in the leftist movement. And uh, there was quite a lot going on in Berlin. And actually, I was studying at Freie Universität and in the Institute for Political Science, uh, which used to be quite a, you know, kind of quite a Marxist uh, institution at the time, mm. you know. It even had some anarchist... Uh, professors from Italy, very famous uh, philosophers and so forth. To me it was clear to 
to uh, demonstrate on the first of May, of course. And yeah. in Berlin at the time, I had I had the choice between I think twelve. Uh, demonstrations, 12 different uh, demonstrations and so forth. So there was this uh, feeling that if you were on the left, maybe you wanted to not join the army as well. Uh, everyone kind of would come to Berlin. That's right, but in my case it wasn't necessary anymore because mm. I, I had taken care of that Uh, otherwise, uh, I was already um, uh, uh, what's it called? I was I was qualified not to qualify oh, I see. Uh, right. for, yeah. for uh, not only not only was I considered not healthy enough, which is a bit of a joke, but also you know when I was at the date at the it's called Kreiswehr Ersatzamt. It's the that was the institution where you were you had to to commit to some medical medical tests and so forth and um, i i began a discussion about the cultural revolution uh in china uh, at the time which of which we were big fans um which i mean from nowadays perspective seems really a really big mistake and a, a really like youthful kind of idiocy uh, but at the time I mean I was quite convinced that it, this is the most you know uh, the best thing that ever could ever happen to mankind and uh, and, and and all the um, medical examiners there, the doctors they were very interested so in the end we ended up uh, discussing there uh, I was surrounded by these white clad Doctors and and uh, we were discussing for a long time uh, these these matters and I guess you know maybe maybe this somehow went into a report and maybe the army didn't want a fan of the cultural revolution in China <laughs> in their ranks you know so yeah. I don't know that might have anyway I I I, I was I was um, ranked. Um, Ersatzreserve 2, replacement reserve 2, which yeah. meant uh, in, that in case uh, everybody else has died, then I would have, and a war was going on, then I would have been pulled, but not before that. Right, so, you'd be one of the last men. Yes. Going yes Fantastic. Yes. A little bit like in sports at school where. Um, yeah. The last, I, that was me, the last person to get picked. And, okay, um, okay. Yeah. Christoph is the epitome of the stylish academic gentleman. Suave, white-haired, he has a bookcase with a ladder. We drink tea and sunlight fills the studio. He sits back and recounts a real-life event he went through in 1978 that would lead to an unexpected creative partnership. There was something happening. There was a big university strike and there was a Korean sect, a South Korean sect, um, named after their I don't know their inspirator or maybe financer uh, Moon uh, you know there are mass weddings uh, he's, that's his the the most, yeah, yeah. The, the Moonies are, are, are the sect yeah. and they were spreading like very expensive looking anti-communist leaflets which were a pure provocation And not only that, but also then later it came out it was a police trap. Police had agreed with these Moonies that they positioned themselves at certain exposed, uh, you know, positions 
at the university and I had basically, you know, I had come there, there was the strike and I had informed my colleagues um, that uh, I had come by, by subway and you know that there are these guys and and then everybody said ah let's you know let's take uh, the leaflets away from them stuff night i mean i couldn't really be bothered but but i i went along actually i bought a newspaper across the street while my friends were kind of going there and taking the leaflets and throwing them into the wastebasket and then i saw that out of the bushes out of surrounding bushes black clad men with clubs were coming out mm. and, and, and kind of hitting on my on my student colleagues, you know. And I also went over and, and kind of I held one of these guys and and then and then uh, all of a sudden, uh, like uh, police, uh, you know, cars came from all sides and and it came out. Yeah, they were policemen. They were, you know, they were plain clothes, but like they they looked like uh, you know they, they looked like bush robbers or they looked like yeah. anarchists or something. I mean, really strange. And I ended up in, in totally ridiculous. And I ended up in the in in the police van together with a with a very young student who was the first day yeah. <laughs> who came from well, who was first day in Berlin actually or uh, first day at university so. and you know he was also just he had just passed by and everybody else who had actually had you know was involved in the action they had were long gone or so but then now they came back now we were sitting in this in this car and. Um, and, and and very soon there were like three, four, five hundred students surrounding, mm -hmm. and they were trying to you know to throw over the the policeman, and we were inside, and I mean I, I kind of liked it until <laughs> until you know the police guy, uh, one of the police were pulling their guns and and, and pushing, putting it to our heads, and you know I, I mean it. It's, it sounds so out of, I mean, it's so totally, totally out of proportion and, and everything. But anyway, and, and, and then they, they went backwards out through the, this uh, crowd of, of students. I mean, it was pure luck that nobody, you know, got, was yeah. run over and stuff. And we, we, were, we were brought to, to, to prison and, and I thought, okay, now they will have these, um, you know, these procedures. At that time, you could be held for 24 hours or something without uh, any formal accusation or a judge, you know. And, um, but then, then, then in the morning, lawyers came, kind of famous lawyers, um, who had been alarmed, you know, by our friends, by the strike committee and so forth. And I was at the time quite known, you know, at University of Europe because I was quite active there. Yeah, and, you were uh, an active uh, political yeah, figure. Basically. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah, and, and Ströbel and Spangenberg came, who were at the time um, in Stuttgart um, having the trials of uh, RAF, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and they were also taking care of us now, and, and they informed us that um, it might take a while longer, and then we yeah. were transported to this big prison in Moabit. Um, it's kind yeah. of kind of interesting because I got to know through yeah. that I got to know the some of the members of the movement of second of June, yeah. uh, which was uh, another urban guerrilla group uh, mainly from Berlin, yeah. um, who were uh, had a different approach than RAF. You know, they were the uh, they were a little bit more you know spontaneous and a little bit more anarchist and not so. Uh, 
how should I put it, not so strict and um, I mean they had some kind of humor they, when, when they robbed banks they uh, gave sweets to the um, clients yeah. <laughs> and, and they were kind of quite interesting guys, uh, one of the members, uh, supposed members were Fritz Teufel who was famous for um, you know, a famous member of the first Commune One in Berlin, the, you know, the, it's a famous, uh, uh, famous thing for the '60s uh, student movement here. You know, the first uh, commune one and commune two. Yeah, know, they, and um, uh, so he he was a very known figure in the wider, larger public in, of, of of Germany. A uh, very funny guy as well. And uh, I got to know these guys, and actually it came out that now Peter, the other, the young student, got released really soon, but not me. And so a big campaign started, you know, students uh, occupied three churches, you know, and uh, big demonstrations, and 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 I got sent, you know, hundreds of postcards they had quickly made, you know, solidarity postcards all over the town, they were huge... um, you know, uh, graffiti saying uh, f- uh, free uh, Christoph and Peter yeah, and, and so forth yeah. and and all that for so a big deal. And, and there was um, still a radio program every every night, every evening between six and eight, I think, two hours, you know, with really good music and uh, live reportage. And they were giving interviews out of the squatted churches and all that, you know, and we could hear that actually in the in the prison radio. There was mm. just one station was that station. And I got all this all this mail so I quickly I became kind of notorious, uh, also in or kind of known in prison and, and but I was treated really well because, you know, was clear that I wasn't a big criminal or anything, yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, I mean, what basically considered a joke too, you know, that I'm in that I'm in there uh, by almost everybody, and uh, they constantly put us together, put me together with Ralf Reinders, um, a um, another one of uh, who was at the time accused of having kidnapped uh, this uh, uh, Christian democratic politician mm. and and other other things and um, and so that we could talk you know we were just uh, positioned in, in two cells very close to the middle of the building mm. so next to our cells was one cell all the cells the first cells were all empty and they were known as cells for the prison guards right so this, was this designed so that the, the prison guards could under, sort of pick up information from what you're talking well, about? Any, I mean, it was for them, I don't know, for various pers- purposes. I mean, maybe maybe they they could have their coffee in there. I don't know. I mean, I was never in there. It was only clear that this these cells, you know, and on all the levels, these cells were not used for prisoners. Yeah. And we were positioned just next to that, so we just suspected that, that they had tapes, uh, you know, yeah. running, and they were uh, had a surveillance of our talk, and we were talking all day, and we were playing chess, you know, through the 
one, one could climb on, on the on the cupboard, you know, uh, on, and 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 then talk through the little window up there, you know, and uh, uh, yeah, we, we were playing chess and uh, by t talk, you know, and also we, we we just we just talked about things and uh, very funny, very you know, com communicative guy, and so we suspected that. <laughs> that we were then that we were going to get a confession or something yeah, ridiculous yeah. as that. I mean, which of course they didn't get. But so you know, I, I got a I got a package. I got a package with books. So because uh, the political prisoners had to read, you know, of course, and. Uh, um, I mean, it's so boring in, 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 in this prison, you know, in this, this prison before, before trial, you, 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 you were sitting for 23 and a half hours every day in your lonely cell, you know, yeah. so you had to have something to read. I mean, I had actually been provided with books by, uh, by these guys from 2nd of June. I had uh, I already by the second day I had books about ETA in Spain about IRA, you know uh, about um, Alfata, you know about um, I mean or any any liberation movement, you know I already had literature, but also then I got I got this um, this package from Commune Bookstore, and. Um, uh, and some Martin Peter was sending me greetings, you know, and wished me a pleasant stay in, in prison. And so after I got out, I, I decided to visit Commune to say thank you, you know, yeah. for this. And, and, and I met Martin, and it came out that, um, and it came out we were both interested in the same. We had both just read uh, Michel Foucault's um, Surveillance and Punishment, I think it's in English. All these things, anyhow. I mean, he was an architect student, you know, and I, I was a political science student, and from both sides we were approaching a little bit the same, we were con concerned with the same issues. And so we decided to collaborate, you know, in exchange uh, uh, for our uh, for our respective um, works, and then it came out that he was also interested in certain music, and we uh, we were you know talking about music and listening to music together, and you know when then then punk was uh, had come up, and yeah. and everybody thought yeah you know let's just do it you know um, let's just do something you know, and he was willing to 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 start some kind of radical experiment wow i guess everyone who is or has been in a band has a story about how their band got together but i've never heard a story quite like the one christoph just told me talking with christoph I get more of a sense of the political and social fabric that helped create the ethoses that make Berlin such a creatively-led city. Yet, talking with Clarice, I've become more aware of what is at threat from aspects of globalisation that really don't care about this, that just want to make everything the same. Investors might want to trick you by creating these facsimile, these kind of Xerox versions of creativity, you know, boutique experiences, hip tourism, whatever... 
But I think we can all do our bit by seeking out the new, going off the grid, wherever we're able. And this starts when you buy your groceries from the market, when you start talking and listening to the locals of wherever you're staying. Fuck TripAdvisor. Fuck what Colin from Vermont thinks of this club or that bar. In 2019, I think we have a choice to seek out the new. Because if we can do this find our own level with it at least we're feeding back directly into the environments that we love so much you've been listening to lost and sound in berlin a podcast exploring music and identity in berlin supported using public funding by the arts council of england music by tom giddens This episode is also being hosted by Bear Radio, and you can find other podcasts from Berlin on bearradio.org. And if you want to join me on the socials, you can also follow on Instagram at forward slash lost and sound in Berlin, and on Facebook at forward slash lost and sound in Berlin. Thanks for listening, and catch you again soon.